Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll go to, to Brooklyn to speak with Adam Armbrecht of Locked On Nets about Brooklyn acquiring LaMarcus Aldridge on the buyout market and what that means for their team moving forward. We go to Chicago to speak with Matt Peck of Locked On Bulls about the Bulls putting their chips in and acquiring Nikola Vucevic of the Orlando Magic. And we also go to Orlando to speak with Philip Rossman-Reich about the Orlando Magic and finally tearing it all down and leaning in into a heavy rebuild. It's all coming up, the biggest stories, with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi guys, and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and uh, the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Lots to talk about in the NBA. The trade deadline has passed. Teams changing, fortunes changing. We're going to talk to a few big uh, few big names across the Locked On network and uh, some teams who've made some, uh, made some noise over the last couple of days. So, Let's get to it. Now, let's bring in one of the hosts of the Locked On Nets podcast. Adam Armbrecht is here with me. Adam, the Brooklyn Nets are addicted to signing 30-plus-year-old big men who can't seem to move anymore. Is this a winning strategy? Yeah, listen, we're the, we're the land of defunct veteran toys, I guess, at this point. As long as you have, uh, hopefully, a returning Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, yeah, of course, it's a winning strategy. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Is that we we can talk about yeah Blake Griffin's past his prime. We can talk about Lamarcus Aldridge coming in and being past his prime. And I don't think there's any, or there isn't. There is absolutely no debate that that is the case. But when you've got those other three players, guys like Griffin and Aldridge, they can sit there and they can play seventeen minutes a night if that's all they need to do because the rest is going to carry it. I guess the, the question is is that we've seen the emergence of late of someone like Nick Claxton. Well, not someone like Nick Claxton, exactly Nick Claxton. He's been playing fantastically. He's been the Nets' best center basically since he returned from his knee injury, outplaying DeAndre Jordan, outplaying Blake Griffin, outplaying Jeff Green minutes at center. And now you bring in another guy who's realistically, uh, his only position in the Marcus Aldridge is at center. What does that mean for a guy like Claxton who's been you know, playing such you know, really high-level defense, Efficient offense, you know, able to switch out onto perimeter players, which none of these other guys are able to do. How does Steve Nash manage the name brand value of a Blake Griffin, of a LaMarcus Aldridge, to a lesser extent DeAndre Jordan versus the superior player in what the Nets need in uh, Nick Claxton? Yeah, well, you touched on a couple of things there, right? Aldrich is not going to come in. There, there's no four play for him at this stage of his career. You, you're not going to be able to manage it. He'll probably, I mean, you, you can try it, but he's going to get beat up on the outside on perimeter wings, et cetera. Uh, you know, DeAndre Jordan, I know he closed out the game the other night, but he's probably the first guy that's going to continue to see his minutes diminish because even in whatever version you have in Blake Griffin and you have in Aldrich now, these are guys that offer more versatility than a DeAndre Jordan. I, I think the benefit here in this season and the emergence coming back from injury for Nicholas Claxton is the Nets see it. And listen, you'd have to be blind not to. And Steve Nash understands the value of this young kid. Now all you're doing is saying, can these veteran guys give us 15 minutes here, 16, 17 minutes there to help spell and not put 
too much pressure on a guy like Claxton, but his ability to specifically switch and work against guards out on the perimeter all the way into the basket, that's a versatility that none of these other players offer them. Even the best version of the four that they have there in Jeff Green is not a guy you necessarily want to be getting onto switches against guards. So Claxton's versatility, specifically on the defensive end, is something that's just going to have to be utilized and have to be leaned into by Steve Nash. So it just kind of plays itself out. These are not guys that you should be getting, if you're Nets fans, overhyped on Blake Griffin or LaMarcus Aldridge. They are veterans. They're not the name on the back of the jersey that they once were, and they can be contributors. But Nick Claxton is really going to be the needle mover for this team down the stretch and potentially in early playoff rounds too. So why hasn't um, Nash just, you know, even before this, just said, well, Claxton is our best center, the best guy that fits with everything. Why isn't he starting or playing 28 minutes a night? Why are there some nights he'll play 17 minutes, some nights he'll play 23, some nights he'll close, some nights he won't? And then another name gets put into that mix. Is that just a massaging egos of those players, of their really high-level elite friends? How How is that working? Because, again, it does appear very obvious from the outside that Claxton should get every, the vast majority of those minutes on most nights. And it feels like I'm overselling him, but I, again, I don't think there's any argument when you watch these guys play that that's the case. The, how is that a just a challenge for Nash to be able to massage those egos and get them in the right spot? And is there a chance that he goes too far in the um, you know, softening the blow type direction? Yeah, you know, you go back to last year with Kenny Atkinson. Obviously, there was there was no massaging of anything. It was just DeAndre Jordan. He's going to be the guy, in spite of what Nets fans were calling for. Nicholas Claxton. Listen, you can make the case this season. He's played in fourteen games now, twenty nine for his career. So the rookie season sample size was really small. Dealt with injuries too. So you're still protecting him against himself a little bit. It's been few and far between, but he's had a couple of games where he can pick up three fouls very quickly over a five or six minute stretch. So the the learning curve still exists there. So I. Yes, there's some massaging of egos here, but I don't think Blake Griffin comes in the door with any expectation of getting put into a starting role at some point. I think DeAndre Jordan, for everything that he is, he is a good teacher, good mentor. I think he knows where he is in his career as well. All of these guys, by the way, including Aldrich, they want to win championships. So if you want to win a championship, that's why when you get bought out, you come for vet minimums to the Brooklyn Nets now then accept your role and, and and move on with it. And even though it's a rookie head coach in Steve Nash, I think he has to be capable of and willing to say, this is our best player. This is how we win games. This is what it's going to look like. And at that point, listen, you want to have a bruised ego about it. That's great. You're still going to be there when you're hoisting the trophy at the end of the year. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that yeah, there's been no indication that, that Aldridge is going to come in and say, I'm, I'm a 30-minute-a-night starter or Griffin's going to be doing that. There's no indication of that. But again, there can be that sort of internal pressure, especially if these – because someone is going to have to not play. Griffin, Aldridge, Green, Jordan, Claxton. Like, there's five guys really for one and a half positions – and somebody is going to have to not play there. So I guess you know, figuring it's out- It's Jordan, I think, if you want, you know, if you want my honesty, I think Jordan's the first guy out because he's the he's the odd duck in this rotation in terms of skill sets and abilities. He's the one that's going to give you the least flexibility and usage. So if that's the, because he's been starting pretty much every game. So if that's the case, what do they do in that starting line? Do they just go that super small route and put Jeff Green there? Do they start Aldridge? Do they- yeah, bite the bullet and start Claxton, like because that's that is a fundamental change to how that rotation looks. Then, yeah, well, so in the same breath, I'll say right, DeAndre Jordan could still start a game for you, and then only end up playing seven minutes. You, you know, so that in, to to encompass everything of massaging egos and accomplishing the ultimate result of who closes out games best. I, I think the unfortunate thing here is everybody knows without Kevin Durant being on the court 
you're you're not understanding specifically Nicholas Claxton, the brightest kind of star that you have here as far as a young player. You don't know what he looks like yet on the floor with Kevin Durant, because then maybe there is flexibility at that five and using Claxton there or even putting Jeff Green. We saw that sample size with Green and KD early in the season. So how this rotation is going to play itself out, not unlike what we've seen so far this year. Uh, Steve Nash, if nothing, is more than willing to experiment on a night-to-night basis with his rotations to try to find his way to the best combination. Remember, we're only a couple of games into the Blake Griffin experiment in Brooklyn as well. So where he falls in this hierarchy now adding Aldrich is going to be in a state of flux. So you know, 25 games to go, it's going to take probably all 25 of those games to really finalize what we think the best roles are for everyone, including now getting a sample size on Aldrich and understanding where is he now in his career when he joins this team with these players around, with Harden around him, with Kyrie around him. Now, what is the version of this player and how do we best utilize him? It's pretty wild that we're talking about the championship uh, aspirations of the, the championship favorite in the Brooklyn Nets and you know, six minutes is speaking about Nick Claxton. But that's sort of where we are with this team. <laughs> One last thing, though. Uh, what's the update on Kevin Durant? Are, are we looking at him being back this week, maybe next week? Like, What's the, what's the update? Yeah, unfortunate. The unfortunate thing for for the update, you know, going back now, I guess it would be about a week, week and a half into where they said one to two weeks before we reevaluate them. So the the only thing you have to keep in mind is they say one to two weeks to reevaluate. That just means to come back in and say, now let's see where we are and put a timetable for his return. So that was the 15th of March, I think it was. Yes, 15th of March is when they said, hey, we're about two weeks away from figuring out what we're going to see here. So that's a rate about now, end of the month, heading into April. Even if they said starting tomorrow, he's going to start to work his way back. You're probably another week away, maybe before he gets back on the court. And then what those minute restrictions look like. And as Doug and I have said on the podcast, you can expect that maybe the last 15 games of the season is all you really need for Kevin Durant to work himself back into shape. And then you can even utilize the first round of the playoffs because that isn't going to be a team that scares the Nets in any way to ramp him back up and get him back into form. That may not be what Nets fans want to hear, but that is possibly the reality you're going to have to live with because at the very least, the Nets are not an organization that are one, going to overshare information about their injuries or two, going to over push their stars to get back on the floor coming off of injuries. They've done it with lesser players. They're certainly not going to do it with Kevin Durant. Well, they are absolutely one of the most fascinating teams in the NBA, the Brooklyn Nets, and you can hear all about them over on Locked on Nets with Adam and Doug. Adam, thanks for coming on Locked on NBA with me. Yes, sir. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit by using our promo code LOCKEDON. Bet online are your online sportsbook experts. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. 
Now let's bring in one of the hosts of the Locked On Bulls podcast. Matt Peck is here. The Chicago Bulls, I guess, surprising quite a few people, especially considering their inactivity during the offseason, signing just one player in, in Garrett Temple. But they went uh, pretty hard at the trade deadline, bringing in, of course, the big the big name there. Nikola Vucevic comes in from Orlando, sending out Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., but making some other moves on the sidelines as well. Daniel Gafford's out. Daniel Tice is in, taking a, fly, a flyer on Troy Brown. We've seen one game of these guys, uh, actually not, not with Daniel Tice because he didn't play for the Bulls, but let's talk about their uh, their thought process here, because after the All-Star break, Matt, uh, they, were, they were bad. So there was two directions they could have gone, lean into tanking and trying to get another high-end lottery pick, or you know, really pushing for the playoffs this year, and it's obvious which direction they chose. Yeah, it, it is obvious, Josh. I think that a half of a season was enough for the front office to evaluate uh, and figure out that what they had, what they inherited, wasn't good enough, and so they went out and worked hard to pair another star with Zach Levine, our first-time All-Star this year. And even though it was a fairly one-sided loss to the Spurs on Saturday, you would kind of anticipate that kind of result with all of the new pieces being assimilated in. But even you saw glimpses already of a two-man game between Zach and Vooch that could really blossom in the back end of this season and beyond. And uh, like you said, the, the the fringe moves as well. With, with Otto leaving, uh, I, I think Troy Brown is going to get a quality look at, at potentially, um, you know, even if he's not starting some good minutes at the wing. I think he showed really strong flashes of his potential in the bubble for the Wizards last season. Took some minutes hits because of them taking Denny Avdia and getting the rookie, uh, you know, more of a focus this season. Uh, and, and like you said, Daniel Tice, uh, hopefully joining them for their game against the Warriors on Monday. Going to be a really strong addition for them, adding some defense, adding some toughness, and a guy who I think is an underrated scorer as well. So I think it, it's still going to be an uphill climb to make the playoffs. The Bulls are about to face a daunting part of their schedule. Nine of the next ten on the road. A lot of playoff-bound opponents in that slate of the schedule. But, uh, I mean, a, a big swing with Vooch. Now, I'm a, I've been a big fan of Wendell Carter Jr. and also you know, the exact opposite level of fan of how the Bulls have used him and developed him under Jim Boylan and then even so even this season under Billy Donovan. I think that yeah, Carter probably copped a little bit too much of the blame for some of the struggles and some of that was him and he had some injury problems. But I, I question the decision for them to, I guess, choose... Markinen over Carter, or is that not what they did? Or are they just, you know, that was just what Orlando wanted to get Vooch, uh, or to get Vooch into Chicago. And Markinen is another one of those players who's just not really in their future plans as an upcoming restricted free agent. Yeah, from what I understand, Orlando very much was interested in uh, Wendell and thinking that maybe he could fit with them long term uh, as they kind of shuffle around some of their other pieces. You know, they still have Mobamba, uh, Jonathan Isaac. But I think Wendell's struggles, primarily last season, you're right, Jim Boylan's offensive system did him no favors, and he really didn't get a chance to grow. And then even through the first half of this season under Billy Donovan, still just seemed hesitant. Um, It might be a confidence issue with Wendell. He seems to be the kind of player, especially at a young age still, who gets in his own head and and lets his own mind kind of compound mistakes uh, and affect his confidence. But maybe he finds an opportunity to play more minutes at the four as opposed to the five in Orlando because he was just getting bodied as an undersized center with the Bulls. So, you know, hopefully he finds a good fit in his new home. And in the meantime, I don't necessarily think that the Bulls are committing to Lowry. You you know, they didn't sign his extension this past offseason. He'll he'll hit restricted free agency. 
And I'm thinking maybe the way that he and Vooch play together and whether or not that seems like a front court that can work moving forward will dictate just how much the Bulls are willing to spend and potentially match if Lowry finds an offer sheet elsewhere this summer. I asked this question on uh, on my podcast, Locked On Fantasy Basketball, last week. What's Larry Markin actually good at? Because <laughs> and that, and I know that, that just sounds like I'm being a troll or whatever, but what's he good at? Like, he's not a good defender. He's not a good rim protector. He's not a good passer. Um, he looks like he should be a good shooter, but the evidence would tell us that he isn't at this point. Like, what, career 34 or 35% shooter from three? And now going through another horrible slump in terms of his... You know, he started this season, the first 15, 20 games, shooting like 63% from two and 40% from three. And he went, oh, he's figured it out. And then the last eight or nine games have been back to the same old bad Larry Markkinen. So again, I ask you the question, like, what is he actually good at? Not, well, not what he can become good at, not what we think he's good at because he's tall and white. Like, what is he actually good at at this point? I think it's a completely fair question, Josh. Uh, I I was a big believer in Lowry after what we saw him accomplish his rookie season, making the all-rookie team. Uh, And then even in his second season, I thought he took some solid steps. He averaged close to 19 and 9, looked like he could be on his way to being a 20 and 10 guy reliably uh, and, and a building block for the franchise. But as you mentioned, he started this season hot. Then another unfortunate injury. He's had a significant injury every year of his NBA season so far. The the shoulder injury, he came back from that shoulder and has just been ice cold from the field. And you mentioned, obviously, not a good defender, not a good rim protector. And if his, his, if his three ball isn't falling, which recently it hasn't been, he also hasn't shown the ability to even uh, take advantage of mismatches use his size he's a seven footer who really plays like he's six five and it's been very frustrating for bulls fans to watch so to answer your question succinctly right now lowry marketing isn't very good at anything now when they got nikola vicevic to come across i thought that front court pairing of him and marketing probably wouldn't work that well and that they you know we have seen this front office not really care about um you know what the past reputation of players is benching Wendell Carter and moving on from him. Like just this is a new front office, a new coach, all that sort of stuff. I thought that they would start Thaddeus Young next to Vooch and Markkinen would play a bench role, but that wasn't the case. Do you think that that is a direction they will move into? Again, having that defensive presence and veteran leadership of Young out there and and move Markkinen into a role which might actually suit him better or they just commit to starting those two together? I think you're going to see both of those situations play out over the course of the back half of this season. Even in the first half of the season, what Billy Donovan in his first year at the helm has shown us is that he was willing to try everything. He's mixed up his rotations, his starting lineup, and his bench unit a lot. And now he's got even more pieces to try to work in, not only Vooch, but, you know, Al Farouk Aminu, who came with Vooch from Orlando. We mentioned Troy Brown, Daniel Tice. Um, and, and so now, basically, you will probably see both Lowry starting alongside Vooch, which we did see on Saturday night. And I would anticipate if Lowry doesn't get his act together, some starting lineups with Vooch and Thad Young. That's what I expected to happen after this trade. Even though Lowry is, you know, someone that they need to figure out what they're doing with. I thought, okay, you start Vooch at center, you slide Thad to the four because of everything that that is doing so well for this team, not just as a quality post scorer, but a guy who's facilitating playing that sort of high post, um, you know, uh, uh, point center kind of stuff at times, but keeping him in the starting lineup, shifting the rookie Pat Williams from the four back to the three and going on from there. So basically, regardless of who's starting and who's coming off the bench, I think you're going to see Donovan make sure he gets enough minutes seeing what Lowry and Vooch together looks like, but also seeing what Vooch and Thad looks like, what Vooch and Daniel Tice looks like. 
It's going to be interesting to watch this Bulls team who, again, have put their chips in. They're saying, we're going for it. We're trying to make the playoffs. Let's see if they actually do. Matt, you and Jordan will have that covered for us all over on Locked on Bulls. Thanks for coming on Locked on NBA with me. Anytime, Josh. Appreciate it. We've been telling you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing, low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber, amazing-tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all bars. And now, it's time to find out which Built Bar is the best. It is Built Bar Madness. Go across to builtbar.com slash pages slash brackets, and you can find the bracket and the matchup. We're getting down to the end here, and you can cast your vote for your favorite-tasting Built Bar protein bar, or you head to their Twitter account at bar underscore built to cast your vote there as well. And when you go to order delicious boxes of these, use our promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. That is LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at builtbar.com and check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best-tasting protein bar. When you're looking for parts for your car, why would you go into a local chain auto store? They're going to go in there. They're probably not going to have the part that you want because there's just so many different parts and and cars and makes and models around. And they're also going to charge you because you're not a professional mechanic. Who cares? RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. And best of all, those prices at RockAuto.com, they are always reliably low, and they're the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com now let's talk orlando magic with philip rossman reich of the locked on magic podcast philip the magic um yeah people have been i guess calling for it i don't know if magic fans have but a lot of people are saying the magic they're just sort of stuck they're stuck in this seven to nine seed range and they just need to tear it down they don't have the pieces for a run and eventually it happened oh, i didn't see it coming we knew that aaron gordon was probably going to move on but shipping out nikola vichevich shipping out ivan fournier um it's it's happening they are they are moving forward in a downward direction but that is a positive i think that most people see but it's going to be some tough times so what do you think triggered this um change in philosophy that it seems like they've been pushing against for so many years yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of it was the injuries this year. Um, just kind of made them take a good hard look at their roster and, and what they're trying to be. I mean, obviously, they could have decided, you know, we're gonna we're gonna run it we're gonna run it back. We're gonna you know say we're gonna chalk this season this weird pandemic season up to injuries and say if we bring back our our same crew, we'll have a chance to be what we all thought we could be. I mean, Jeff Weltman said on his uh, post trade deadline uh, press conference that you know, he truly believed they could have competed for a home court advantage in the Eastern Conference this year. And again, judging by both the start that they got off to, 6-2 and two, before Markel Fultz's injury, and then looking at the Eastern Conference itself right now, you know, maybe there would have been something to that. But I think they came to a realization, like with all these injuries, the team struggling near the bottom of the standings, looking at potentially getting a very high draft pick, um, it would have been like they would have been stuck if they had to pay – uh, Evan Fournier and keep him. Um, and if they lose him, well, where are they going to go from there? Well, you trade Aaron Gordon, get Aaron Gordon to get his replacement. Then, you know, is Jonathan Isaac ready to step into that role? And I think it just came down to the decision of they, you know, they, they didn't want to be stuck at the seven to nine, the seven to nine, seven to 10 range. They wanted to, to, to be a team that could take that next step up and be that up and coming team. And the realization was Fournier is 28, 29 years old. Vucevic is 30, 31. 
those guys are nearing their peaks. And so it was kind of a time to sell high on those players and, and hit reset a little bit. Yeah, it is. It's going to be interesting to see how all of this you know plays out with this team, with these moves that they've made. Um, yeah, I, I was speaking to Matt Peck earlier on the show about the Bulls um, acquiring uh, Nicola. And he, he was under the impression that the Magic were pretty interested in getting Wendell Carter Jr. back. And that's why he was one of the pieces that was included. Now, we're recording this in the middle of the Magic Lakers game. And Carter is being used as a third string center at this point. Now, Clifford did say before the game that they, he wanted to be careful with integrating the new guys into the rotation. But how, how do how do the Magic see this? Because you're starting Ken Birch probably isn't any sort of rebuild mode. It's not developing any player. Mo Bumper's been buried for three years, and Steve Clifford obviously has concerns with him being able to withstand uh, NBA-level play. So is this just a Clifford stubbornness thing? Is this an easing-in thing? Did they actually value Carter as that key piece back? Do they value him in the draft picks more? Like, What's the direction here with uh, you know, getting young players in? I mean, I think I think it's kind of what you see with a lot of teams that kind of hit that reset button and, and decide to kind of nuke the roster a little bit. They they just kind of grab whatever they can grab. I mean, and 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 I, I think that the Magic do value Wendell Carter, and I think that they do see him as someone that can be, you know, not you know, be be a piece for them in in the short term at least, and someone they can continue to develop uh, and move forward. Um, you know, obviously I, I, Clifford is just very very cautious with things. Um, you know, the way I describe Steve Clifford as a coach. Um, is he's kind of a foundation building coach. His his big thing is, you know, being organized, being able to do the basic things very, very well and, and essentially not beating yourself. It's what it's why he's consistently been able to build teams that are seven through ten seats. That's that's kind of his his deal with Charlotte and now with Orlando, is his teams do the simple things really, really well. Uh, and they don't beat themselves. They don't turn the ball over. They don't give up rebounds. And 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 that's just about building a solid base. And so I think what he wants to make sure is that all the new guys understand the basics of what they're trying to do. And, and I don't think he's necessarily going to change the kind of bigger picture of what the team is is supposed to be, or what the team is going to be, um, you know, overnight. Um, it's it's going to take some trial and error. And, and I think, again, the, the thing about Clifford is he's going to be a little bit stubborn on some things. I agree that he can be stubborn on things. He's going to try an idea and he's going to try it into the ground. Um, I do think we'll see, uh, a guy like Wendell Carter kind of find his place in the rotation fairly quickly. Um, you know, again, I, I think there were some a little, some health concerns, not a ton, um, but they just want to get a feel for these guys um, while they're still trying to kind of put themselves in a position to win. You know, we're 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 recording this late in the third quarter. It's a tie game at sixty-one. If Wendell Carter gives this team the best chance to win tonight or Sunday night he'll play those final minutes. I mean, he's, he, I don't think Clifford's afraid as if going to be afraid to do that, especially right now with things fluid um, right now. I just think they're just in a kind of a getting to know you period with a lot of these guys. It's again, tough when you don't have a practice the magical will have a full practice mo- Monday while they're in Los Angeles. That's a potential for them to kind of get a better feel for what they have. Now you want to talk about your know, frustration and stubbornness with Clifford. I know that a lot of magic fans were frustrated with the use of Chumura Kiki with guys like yeah, Alfru Kaminu and Gary Clark at times playing minutes ahead of him. So I wonder how much the front office, the Aaron Gordon trade decision, I guess, was sort of taken out of their hands a little bit. But yeah, packaging off Al Farouk Aminu in there as well, it was just a way to, to almost say to Steve, um, look, you've you got to play this player. You, just, you have to play him, and now you've got no other option but to play Chumura Kiki. And he has really stepped up in the absence of those players. So 
I can understand that yeah, there is frustration, and again, you can speak to that from Magic fans of just how Truma had played and the lack of uh, attempts or the lack of um, opportunities he has gotten, while other guys who have absolutely zero part of the future, like Clark and Aminu, were getting that getting that playing time ahead of him. So I think that's that's a real positive to see the way that Akiki has been played. But again, it, it does also highlight that stubbornness that you've mentioned. But but I would but I, I mean, and, and I'll I'll push back against that a little bit. You know, I think some of that is because of. The Magic's development plan with Okiki. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, again, we, th- I think this is part of Clifford's stubbornness for sure. But I think Clifford, when he's looking at young players, especially, he wants to put them in positions to succeed. He wants to like very narrowly define their roles so they can do the one or two things that they need to do to stay on the floor really well, and then slowly expand from there. And obviously, I think Okiki has been kind of put in a position now where he's being asked to take a lot more shots, asked to do a little bit more. But because he you know, did that, you know, had the, had those little moments where, you know, he was playing the, you know, where the magic really kind of focused and tried to push him to play the four, you know, sometimes moving Gary Clark to the three and trying to avoid playing Okiki out of that position. Um, that, that frustration is warranted. You know, I think there's, you know, as a society, we're a little bit impatient Um, the magic, you know, their development plan with Okiki has been super patient. And, and I think, you know, we're seeing kind of the fruits of it a little bit now where, you know, he feels very, very confident in the role that the magic had put in put for him. And he's kind of playing exactly the way they want him to play right now. And he's, he's kind of mastering. Yeah. Look, he's, he's been fantastic over the last week or so. And there is, there is, you know, definitely merit to that, I guess, in, you know, getting those guys to develop, especially after he missed like almost two years of basketball with that uh, ACL injury, then didn't, you know, which he suffered what March, 2019, I think it was. March, 2019 too. Yeah. 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 yeah so I mean, and again, the pandemic slowed things down too. He was like, uh, from what I understand in Lakeland, he was just starting to play kind of three on three right when the pandemic hit and, and the, and the G league shut down. So like he, he, he was, he was ramping up, you know, he may have played a little bit toward the end of the G league season uh, last year. Uh, and then, and then of course everything shut down and, and he had to shut down with him. You talked about, you know, the magic, you know, when selling off pieces and, and teams in general, looking to just grab bits and, and see what happens. How do you view the acquisition of RJ Hampton? Is it, is it in that same sort of idea? Now, when I was looking at the draft and doing mock drafts, nearly every time I'd be like, Magic, pick 15 or whatever. Hampton, like that, that's, I would pencil that in. This is what they need. This is what they need. They obviously passed on him and he slid all the way into the mid-20s. Do you think that that was a just like, can we just get what we can? Or was he someone that they were actually interested in at that point in the draft and it's decided to go in a different direction? Yeah, I mean, I I think I think getting a player like R.J. Hampton was part of what attracted them to Denver. Um, the ability to get again, you're, you're you're trading away a star player, and the way I've described it to a lot of a lot of people who ask me like, why did the Magic take this offer? Why did the Magic take uh take why did the Magic take you know Boston's offer for for um for uh, you know for Nikola Vucevic or Evan Fournier or, or whoever? And I said, and I I would tell everyone like, look, don't focus on kind of the big pieces. Like the the Magic don't you know don't care about Otto Porter. That was the salary they needed to take back to trade Nikola Vucevic to the Bulls. What they were interested in were those side pieces. And I think the Magic liked Gary Harris. You know, I think the Magic hoped that Gary Harris could come in and, and be a good veteran for this team and kind of give them a little bit of stability. And, and, you know, if they can find a way to unlock what he was able to do earlier in his career in Denver, great. And, and I think they'd be happy to have him or happy to have him. But the real prize of that trade was getting the 2025 first round pick from Denver and getting RJ Hampton. I think the magic had real interest in RJ Hampton uh, at the draft. They just evaluated that Cole Anthony was, was the better player at the time. And, and again, you know, both Cole, Cole Anthony was a guy that a lot of people had projected, you know, in the 
you know, in the lottery for a good chunk of the year, you know, for before the North, his, his college season started, he was projected to be a top five pick. They felt like they grabbed a top 10 talent uh, at 15. And, and I think most people, would, I think Denver would say, you know, we grabbed a lottery talent at 24 with RJ Hampton. So I think the Magic definitely wanted to pick up a, a, a super talented player. And I think that RJ Hampton was a big, big, big reason why they took the Denver deal. So Magic fans, it's going to be tough in terms of wins and you know, pushing for the playoffs in the next couple of years, but there is a lot to uh, to look forward to with these young guys and then incoming draft picks. And then you know, changing direction it can be can be tough, but it's it's fun. It's going to be a lot of fun, Philip. And if people want to hear your talk about the Magic um, for the rest of this season and into the offseason and in the future, and if they want to hear you sing some songs from Hamilton, they can check you out over on Locked On Magic. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. Experience the empowering feeling of the Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Lease the 2024 RX 350 Premium All-Wheel Drive for $5.28 a month for 36 months with $49.99 to its signing. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important lease offer and pricing details. Not all customers will qualify. Offer in the Lexus Eastern area and it's April 1st, 2024.